This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Wally. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. I'll be right back to you, Naz. And uh, also joining us in studio, a uh, friend of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, uh, affectionately known as the Ultimate Leafs fan. Of course, I'm talking about Mike Wilson. Mike, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Wally. Good morning, Naz. Thanks for having me. It's it's great to have you. Just so everyone's aware, uh, um, we uh, we do live stream at www.zoomerradio.ca, and uh, it's that point of the show where I always announce uh, Naz's sartorial selections for the morning. And uh, Naz, you're wearing you're proudly wearing your '78. Bruce Smith, Buffalo Bills jersey. Bills yeah. and Dolphins. What's today. the statement? What's the statement there, now? I hear Mike's the ultimate Bills fan. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true, Mike? Uh, yeah, I do cheer for them. And, uh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Of course, Mike is uh, known as. Uh, Having the greatest collection of uh, Toronto Maple Leafs memorabilia in the world, had a fanta- has a fantastic collection in his basement, uh, and of course donated, uh, or a lot of his collection can be found at, at the National Museum. Mike, tell us all about uh, the the movement and uh, all the great news in your uh, in your in your Leaf memorabilia collection this year. Well, it started a couple of years ago because the succession plan that Deb and I wanted to put in place with, you know, me getting a couple of years older, uh, you know, we, we were approached by Ottawa for an exhibit they had called Hockey More Than Just a Game, which just ended a run in Ottawa, uh, which was a fantastic display. And we lent 50 pieces to the exhibit, which was 300 pieces in total. It has now moved on to Montreal, then it's going to Winnipeg. So that's kind of how it all started. And from there, and a couple of visits to our place and talking, and, we, you know, it came up that we were looking at some point we'd have to do something with the collection at some point uh the negotiations began about four years ago and on they went so they you know we had some very intense uh discussions over the years and you know uh, my my objective at the end they they agreed with me the way it should be and i think this you know collection should be preserved and what we're looking at is our national museum it's in ottawa uh, and i think what it will do is it sort should be the cornerstone of a collection it should be all Canadian. So my objective moving forward here is to have an all-Canadian exhibit. I mean, the Hockey Hall of Fame does a fantastic job uh, doing hockey on an international basis. Why can't we at our National Museum, at our nation's capital, have a museum strictly from the Canadian perspective that covers all aspects of the game from Aboriginal to the Colored League in Nova Scotia to, um, you know, just the diversity of the game overall. It's more than just the seven pro teams, the two national teams, but it's all hockey, even from the grassroots level. So I think from that standpoint, we have a big story to tell, and I think it needs to be out there. Anyways, that, Mike, Mike Wilson's going to be jo- joining us for the entire hour. So yes. uh, welcome aboard, Mike. Uh, 
Uh, Naz, just a, an idea where the show's going today. We'll be talking to Leo Routens, TSN basketball, uh, Raptors basketball analyst, uh, shortly after the break. And I'm going to turn it over to you, Naz. We've got a special guest in the middle of the hour. Let, let, please fill our Former listeners in on that. General manager of the Toronto Blue Jays and now current general manager and VP of the Atlanta Braves, Alex Anthopoulos, will be on the show later on. Today. No, you ran into Alex a few weeks back at a an event. A couple weeks ago and, uh, dinner and I met him. Nice guy. Real nice guy. You've been chatting with him and uh, he's been busy. <laughs> yeah, he sure has. Perfect timing this morning. Uh, perfect timing. We, uh, I know that you uh, you were chatting with Alex uh, earlier on in the week and uh, you know, we've been, uh, you've been chatting with him a couple of weeks and it uh, seems like he had the time for on his schedule this morning but uh, he he was and we're you know great timing because uh, blockbuster trade yesterday between the Atlanta Braves Atlanta Braves and the L.A. Dodgers. So we're, I guess we're yeah, they uh, moved some people there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Alex is up to his old tricks. Uh, he had uh, some fantastic years in Toronto, uh, and uh, you know the uh, you know the the Phil Esposito's uh, uh, nickname when he became. Uh, uh, in management with the Tampa, it was Trader Phil. So uh, I mean, I, can, I don't think we can, I don't think we can plagiarize that and call Alex Trader Trader Al, Trader Alex. But uh, certainly, he's uh, he's he's not scared to move bodies around. Certainly, one, one thing he did say to me, he said he didn't go to Atlanta to lose ninety games. So uh, look out. Anyways, uh, so we'll be t- chatting with Alex Anthopoulos in the middle of the hour and. Uh, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, always uh, the huge topic of discussion, and um, they're in a little bit of a lull right now. They've uh, lost their last three games and have not scoring in bunches like they used to uh, early in the season. Marner's got one goal in the last 33 games. Nylander's got one goal in the last 15 games. Naz, what's going on? Well, one thing they've done is the, all the slashing calls have gone away. The power plays seem to be uh, reduced now. It's not the same as it was at the beginning of the year. And it hurts teams like the Leafs. The Leafs are great on the power play and don't get as many opportunities, right? So that's um, a difficult task right now. They, they don't have Austin Matthews, and that's, that's a big deal. Mike, what's your assessment? Well, I think I mean, first off, I mean, any team is going to go through lulls throughout the season, going to lose a couple of games, and it's it's just part of the process because you know these teams are the level of competition in the NHL has never been stronger. So, you know, we have to be patient with this. But one of the things I've noticed over the last while is that teams seem to be defending Leafs much better because you'll notice now that when Nylander takes the puck and he starts you know moving around with it, they're trying they're keeping him more to the perimeter of the play inside the offensive zone, and so what they're doing is instead of chasing him and opening up the zone for a two-on-one situation all the time, which was at least we're excellent at doing, they're now letting him skate around, keeping those guys to the outside and defending much better. And look at the block shots and the attempted shots Leafs are having every game they're high. I mean, they're not getting through. So what the Leafs have to do is they have to start driving that, I think, a little bit more because they're just staying in the perimeter too much. Yeah, I also look at it. Do I mean... Uh you know, Leaf fans, we we're up and down like uh, like yo-yos, you know. And it's it's an 82 game schedule, yes. and and you and you got to remember that you're going to have ups and downs through the whole year. And just before this stretch, where they lost three games, they had a stretch where they they went, you know, they went 10 and one or eight and one or whatever it was. I don't know the exact amounts, but they had a they had a you know they they had a winning streak. Now they have a little bit of a losing streak, and apparently uh, uh, the schedule eases up a bit. Uh, from here till the end of January, more home games. Uh, so uh, to all 
people out there in Leafs land, let's not get uh, overly excited. Uh, but we do, we'd love to see Marner. And, uh, you know, uh, something seems to be off in his game. Uh, it's maybe it's, we talked about this with Lou Franceschetti. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's confidence. Who knows what it is? The talent level's there. Nylander's there. Uh, but I, I, I want to throw it back to you two guys for this. Um, you know, just reading the Toronto Star this morning, and one of the reporters uh, suggests that Mike Babcock is put a uh, has um, sort of put a parachute on these guys uh, because they have such incredible individual skill. It's now that they're being forced to play the Babcock system, whatever that means. Uh, so you know, and we talked about it earlier in the year. When the Leafs were winning the early games eight to five and seven to four, I said that's not going to last. That that you can't play an entire season like that. You've got to learn how to win the three two games, the two one games, uh, and to do that, I guess you've got to take your your skilled players and you've got to restrain them a bit. Um, uh, do you get a sense that the individuality and the skill of a Marner and a Nylander is? Uh, being throttled a bit in, in in the system that they're playing, which is, uh, in my estimation, it's inevitable. But your assessment, Naz and Mike? I think that, uh, yeah, he's definitely uh, going that that route for sure. They're playing a defensive system now because if you look at the last month, they have won a couple of games 2-1 and 1-0. Mm-hmm. So they have, they have changed it, right? But I think it needs to be done, but they'll increase their offense eventually, and everything will be okay. Don't forget, they play, they've, played, they've played five games in seven nights. A ridiculous schedule for any NHL team. You'll never beat uh, an NHL team, even as badly as Detroit is playing, if you're going back-to-back and on, a, on the fifth game of a seven-day uh, sprint, right? There's no way you'll be you'll be a team even like Detroit. Mike, your sense we're not the Leafs aren't as freewheeling as they were earlier in the season. Is that good or bad? Well, as I mentioned before, I think I mean I'd, I I would disagree with that comment in the paper because you know I mean of course there's defensive responsibilities that Mike Babcock puts on player. Every coach does, but he's not going to you know saddle these guys into playing a certain way and not let them exploit their offensive capabilities, which are exceptional on, on most fronts. What he's reminding them of, those when games get tighter, don't forget about your responsibilities on this side of the red line. And I think that's the one thing maybe they have forgotten a little bit because, just face it, when the puck isn't going in it, you grip the stick a little bit tighter, you try to do a little bit too much. So if anything, what he's trying to do is just calm these guys down a little bit and just play your game and eventually it'll come your way, which what? it always does. Uh, just before we go to break, just want to address this, Naz. Um you know, we seem to, you know, because we have we have these three incredible young stars, of course, Matthews, um, who we've predestined to be, uh, you know, at the Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby level in, in the near future. He, he seems to be on a path to be one of the great stars in the game if he's not already there. So huge expectations on him. He's been injured. Uh, we're speculating what the injury is. Um, it's, it's the uh, classic or uh, the cliche, the upper body injury. Some people are suggesting it may be a concussion. It may not be, but nobody's letting on. Of course, we also have Marner and Nylander, who we were talking about earlier in the year that we, you know, the assessment will be that they will be signed to long-term contracts. 
We're going to avoid all that bridge contract nonsense and all the UFA stuff uh, at the age of 25. We'll just see how long we can sign them and give them a, a lot of dough. And now, you know, you have to make an assessment, you know, if they don't turn it around before the end of the year, how does that impact those contractual negotiations, uh, if at all? Nas? I don't think it impacts it very much. I think they've, they've probably designated a salary for these guys already. I see them between six and seven for both uh, Nylander what are you and seeing? Uh, you know, we, 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 we microanalyze, you know, you know, Toronto fans are incredible for this. Like, we microanalyze uh, the you know players almost every single move they make on the ice every single game you know and that's incredibly unfair to the players and sort of silly in a lot of ways but from a, let's call it for lack of a better term the macro perspective what's wrong with Marner and Nylander's game this year or is there anything wrong with it I don't I don't think there's uh, a lot wrong with it really it's all about confidence and I think that'll come they're young guys still, you know. Nylander, Nylander looks good, though. He, his skating is quite good. Yeah, the puck's just not going in the net for They're not going in the net for him because he, he, he has possession of the puck quite often. Out of well, well, remember, these guys have figured them out, too. You know, they watch these guys, you know, fly around and, and you know, spin around all last year. They're defending them better. And, but if you look at their point totals, their point totals aren't that far off of where they were last year. And I think, you know, to the point about the contracts, you know, they're not going to get fooled by one. These kids have exceptional talent. And, and probably least, exceptional agents, too. <laughs> and they're going to have a, It's pretty easy to defend kids like this. They know what the market value exactly. is. Exactly. Right? So they're not going to be they fooled. Know. Look, you can use a perfect example is when they gave Nazem Kadri a six-year contract after the troubles he was having at the beginning. You were looking, you know, when they signed him and Morgan Riley at the same time, it looks pretty good right now. But at the time, you're thinking... We're, this guy was having his troubles on and off the ice. We're going to sign this guy to this type of contract. Well, look at now you've got a 30 goal score. Anyways, it seems like the message is guys, let's just calm down. Exactly. It's a long season. And These guys are talented. Place. The cream rises to the top sooner or later. Anyways, uh, it's time for our break, and we'll be right back after the break talking basketball with Leo Routens. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced that you can get a three-topping party pizza with 24 slices for just $24. It's perfect for large groups on a budget, like staff meetings, sports teams, or special ops units. Go, 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 go! Everybody down! So before you break down any doors, get a three-topping party pizza with 24 square slices for just $24. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. 
This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village on the new AM740. And if you're listening in downtown Toronto, we're also on 96.7 FM. Live streaming on www.zoomerradio.ca. We're trying to get a hold of Leo Routens. Uh, we're going to keep trying to connect. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty getting a hold of Leo. Uh, I'm sure we will. Uh, so we'll, we'll certainly keep trying to do that so we can talk some Raptors. Uh, in the meantime, while we're trying to get a hold of Leo, we've got uh, Naz, of course, Marchese, my co-host, Mike Wilson, in studio with us this morning. The ultimate Leafs fan. Just before we're going to break, we're talking about the Leafs. And uh, there's a big game coming up Tuesday at, uh, it's called the Century Game or the Next Century Game. It's, we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. And the, the Leafs will be decked out in their Toronto Arena uniforms. And they're playing the uh, Carolina uh, Hurricanes. Uh, yeah, I know you're shaking your eyes there, Mike. Uh, I was shaking my head uh, about that one. But let's, uh, let's chat a little bit about that. Um, two striking features about this game. One, 2 o'clock on a work day, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, Naz, uh, uh, just before we went on air, we were chatting about that and uh, the reason for the 2 o'clock yeah, start. Yeah, they want to get them, as many kids in as possible to watch the game. And they're asking the season ticket holders to give their tickets to the kids that day. So there'd be a lot of noise and people that can't go to games usually can go on Tuesday. Great, great effort by Toronto Maple Leafs to do that. So the idea is uh, all the all the suits, as they call them, all the Bay Street guys that actually own, and you're a former Bay Street I'm a guy, Mike. Streeter, yes. Okay. So no, no offense. Okay. No offense to the <laughs> paying taking. customers, uh, but they want they want the uh, they want the suits to hand the tickets over to some kids. Well, I think and, the idea and make is, it. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I think that's sorry to interrupt, but I think the idea is that the new century is let's start off with the new generation. So here's the new group of fans that are going to be carrying the team through for the next 100 years, just as they started back in 1917. So why not start with the kids? Because that's the group of kids that's going to be carrying the team further from here. So I think it's a brilliant move. Yeah, certainly. Uh, yeah, I think that's – from that perspective, yeah, I think it's a great move. Uh, from another perspective, let's have a little chat. Um, 100th anniversary game. We've got special uniforms, Toronto Arenas. Uh, you know where I'm going with this, obviously. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, my God. Um, could they not have scheduled the Montreal Canadiens? Um, any, uh, any, without being overly critical, because uh, we've been on the Leaf bandwagon for a couple of years now and have, have generally been quite uh, complimentary 
of the Toronto Maple Leafs and all the efforts they've made in the last couple of years, especially, you know, the ceremonies bringing Dave Keon back and retiring the sweaters and the contest for the top 100 Maple Leafs, you know, all fantastic things that the Toronto Maple Leafs have done. And, you know, got to give credit where credit is due. Uh, have very little critical about this exist about this administration. Uh, Shanahan and Lamarillo and the guys have have really brought the organization to a different level of class. But Carolina Hurricanes on the hundredth anniversary game. Uh, Naz, your thoughts? I don't see anything wrong with it. To tell you the truth, I. I you're not a purist, Ness. No, no, Montreal. <laughs> Montreal Canadians don't mean anything to me. Oh my. Okay. Oh. There you go. I know that. I know you dislike the Montreal <laughs> Canadians. Absolutely. How can you tell? But you know, it's a hundred. It's a hundredth anniversary game. It's 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 sort of a sense of occasion. Could the Leafs and the NHL not have? It just. It just. It doesn't it make more sense for the Montreal Canadians to be there, Mike? Yeah, it would from that standpoint, and I'm with you. I mean, being a guide of, of historical <laughs> values, I guess you would say. Yes, but I think from the standpoint of what they're trying to, the message they're trying to signal with the kids is the fact that it's a new beginning. Here's one of the newer teams. Let's carry it forward and get off to a good start this way instead of rehashing the history, which we've already addressed. So this way, it's a new, a new step moving forward. So from that standpoint, I can see what they want to do. But, you know, I, I don't think the Leafs had any say in the scheduling. It's, that's the NHL on their part. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, it's also quite possible. We don't know the, the, the details of it, but uh, it's also quite possible the schedule, when they, they set the schedule and the NHL didn't realize the plans that the Maple Leafs were going to have. And then once you've got that schedule settled, it's not, I mean, if you start moving games around, it's got a domino effect yeah. all the way down the line. And you've got to change the hurricane schedule, you've got to change the Canadian schedule, you got to change, who knows what other, what other dominoes fall. Exactly. Um, so, uh, uh, so, obviously, uh, whatever happened, happened. We'll make the best of it. And, uh, and hopefully it'll be a fantastic game and a fa- fantastic event. And we will uh, hopefully we'll have as many kids in those seats as possible. Still having problems getting hold of uh, of uh, of Leo. I'm I'm texting him back and forth, but I can't seem to get him on the phone. Uh, I'm gonna try and send him another text here, Naz. If uh, I think uh, we have Alex on the line, though. Oh, we got Alex Anthopoulos. Yeah. Then uh, we. Sebastian, we have Mr. Antopoulos on the line, so that's perfect. Why don't we do that uh, very quickly? Alex Anthopoulos, welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you, sir? Doing well. Glad to be on, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, uh, with all uh, with all due respect, we notice you've been busy in the last couple of days. So uh, why don't you <laughs> fill in our uh, you know uh, our, our and th- once again, thanks so much for joining us, Alex. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, tell us a little bit about the trade. Uh, you are, of course, the new general manager of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about what happened in Braves and Dodgers land. Sure, we um, <clears throat> we made a pretty big deal in terms of dollars exchanged involving uh, Matt Kemp going from the Braves to the Dodgers, and Adrian Gonzalez, Scott Kazmir, Brandon McCarthy, and Charlie Culberson coming back to Atlanta. Adrian Gonzalez has been designated for assignment. So, you know, he won't be part of the Braves going forward. But it's a, it's a deal that um, 
team together. I wouldn't say all that fast, but we had talked about it a little bit before the winter meetings. I went back and forth a little bit during the meetings. Wednesday night, it started to get a little bit of momentum. Then we took the next few days and really finalized it uh, yesterday, you know, late morning. Um, and I was actually traveling with my family back to Toronto. To, you know, we're going to spend the holidays here. So I was at the airport still doing some media conference calls and all that kind of stuff, waiting for a 1230 flight. So a little bit, a little bit chaotic that day, but uh, I think a good deal for both teams. You know, we were able to um, free up an outfield spot, give ourselves financial flexibility going forward. And for the Dodgers, um, can't speak for them, but I know that with the tax, the way it's set up in baseball, they, they have a chance to be under now and to be able to do some things as well. Alex, uh, what does that mean for Ronald Acuna, your uh, prize outfield prospect? I mean, certainly when he's ready, and that doesn't mean it'll necessarily be opening day or you know, two months into it, but we do think at some point in 2018 he'll be ready to go. I mean, he was had a, he had an unbelievable year in the minor leagues last year, won the MVP of the Arizona Fall League. So I'm anxious to take a look in spring training. It certainly clears a path um, for him or any, anybody else. We, we did feel like at some point Ronald was going to factor into our club, and whenever we do decide to bring him up, we want him to play every day. So you know, not an easy thing to have to sit um, you know, one, one of our three outfielders at the time with, with Kemp and Tiarte and Nick Marquecas, those guys should be starting every day. So, you know, we were we were pretty active trying to move an outfielder, and Acuna was certainly part of that discussion. Um, so now it will certainly make it easier for him. But look, he's going to have to earn it as well, and we're not going to rush or try to force anything. We view that he's only 19 years old, and we view him as a long-term piece, so we're still going to be cautious. But this does make, make it easier at some point in 18 for him to play every day. Alex, Mike Wilson here. Just one of the uh, questions, obviously, you're going to be getting from people, I guess, moving into your new position. Congratulations on that, by the way. But um, with this restriction or the penalty of the loss of the eight players and being sort of handicapped, being able to go after international players for the next couple of years, how does that alter your plan moving forward? Sure. I mean, I knew there was going to be some type of sanctions. I had no idea to what degree, what magnitude. Um, So, yeah, we lost quite a number of prospects. But that being said, that's you know, it wasn't going to ultimately impact my decision to take this job or to pursue the opportunity. I love you know, sitting down with Terry McGurk, our chairman and CEO, person I deal with and report to. Um, he sold me pretty quick. He didn't even need to sell me, just who, who he was. I'm big on who you get to go to work with every day. As much as you look at the city and the talent and so on, um, you know, knowing what the environment's going to be like is pretty important. But, you know, so with the penalties and so on, I'd say the biggest thing would be just it was going to be important anyways, but even spending that much more time on the amateur draft because we're going to be hamstrung a little bit on the international market the next few years. We have to be that much better on the amateur side, which we want to be anyways. Scouting and development, like everyone will tell you, um, but I think more so here is going to be the backbone of this organization. It's going to be very critical. So, um, you know, whether that's an extra 10%, 20%, we'll spend that much more time on, on the amateur side and get the draft right. We're going to be doing that. Alex, uh, Guerrero for the Jays, you were involved in, in signing him. What are your assessments of that player? Yeah, at the time, and I could just talk about when we signed him and I, when I was there. I, you know, obviously it's been two years I've been away, so um, I, I'm not up to speed, so impossible for me to talk about that. But I could just tell you, at the time that we signed him, first time I saw him, he was 14 years old. Um, and he was hitting, we, we had him at our complex in the Dominican, and we had a bunch of 14-year-old kids, which... I think one of our uh, 
one of our AGMs said at the time, I don't know how to scout 14-year-olds, which he was right. We didn't have any experience doing it. But uh, Vladdy Jr. started hitting balls over the batter's eye in center field at that age. So he stuck out like a sore thumb. We decided to keep tabs on him. Uh, I went back a number of times to the Dominican to see him, to work him out, to get more game looks, more at-bats. Very humble, quiet kid. Loves the game. Uh, the fact that he grew up around it, around his father, uh, he certainly had you know, has grown up financially set. Uh, you knew he wasn't playing for any monetary goals or reasons. It's because he loved to play. And even I remember um, driving. I, we had to drive a few hours to go. Uh, I went to go have lunch on January 2nd, I believe, um, at his mom's house because his parents were divorced. And he was in the car with us making the drive. And he, was, he had his iPad, and he would just watch He's in the back seat watching highlights of his dad in the car, and just you could tell how proud he was of his father and his career, and just a baseball nut. So, um, you know, certainly we were really excited about him. We had never spent that kind of money on a, a young talent like that before. It to- took us out of the market the following year. I mean, it was a big decision to make. And even at the time in 2015, you know, we had made a lot of moves. Obviously, they've been well documented at the trade deadline. It chewed up about six million dollars of our main, our 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 dollars that we could have used to put towards the big league team that year in 2015. And we decided to spend it on Vladdy. He was a long-term piece. We thought he was an impact piece. And that's how highly we thought of him. We're talking to Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, Alex, once again, so much th- thank you so much for joining us. Um, w- one of the things we do on this show is, uh, you know, we talk baseball. We also want to talk about the uh, Alex Anthopoulos, uh, the general manager and the man. Um, and the one thing that obviously... Uh, reviewing your uh, your history is you you took a bit of a I wouldn't say unusual but a different path to becoming one of baseball's most uh, most uh, uh, significant uh, executives and also one of the one of the most beloved executives in Toronto baseball history uh, you you uh, attended McMaster on a bachelor uh, on a BA and you started as an unpaid intern with the Montreal Expos um, did you ever envision at any point, uh, up until uh, uh, up until later on in your Blue Jays career, that you would ever achieve the success that you achieved when you were doing your undergrad studies at McMaster? No, actually, not at all. So I remember when I was going to McMaster uh, after my second year that summer, my father had a small, you know, eight to ten employee heating and ventilation company, and um, he passed away that summer suddenly. He actually was in the hospital. Uh, he didn't feel he wasn't feeling well. He checked himself in um, on a Wednesday and on a Friday. He had a heart attack in the hospital, which was totally sudden, totally shocking. So, you know, from that point forward, decided to uh, jump into the family company. At that point, myself and my two brothers jumped in. I had to go back to school that September, uh, but I remember sitting with one of my friends at McMaster. You know, we were on a bus going up to get one of our cars. And just telling him how I really didn't like heating and ventilation. My father had gone to McGill, was an engineer. I said, this is not what I want to do the remainder of my, my life. And um, I said, I really want to get into baseball. I really want to get into sports. So that's the first time I really thought about doing something I love in a career. And he kind of screamed at me. And he said, geez, you know, I'm sick of you talking about this over and over again. Just do it. And it's kind of like a reality check. It's almost like if you could have, it would have slapped me across, across the face. And... Um, that was uh, the moment where I just said, you know what, he's right. I'm going to take a shot at this thing. 
So, I mean, I, I did that with my dad's heating ventilation company until it was about 23, and I finally woke, woke up one morning and said, I don't want to do this the next 40 years of my life. I want to go after baseball, sports. I'm going to take a shot at this. Um, I don't care what the career is. I just want to be in an environment that I enjoy. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. And let me take a shot. So I banged on doors and got an unpaid internship. And I was just happy to be in sports. I had no designs or thoughts of being a GM. Before you're in sports, you'd love to be a GM. But once you get in, you realize how hard it is, how competitive it is, and you're just happy to be in the environment. So definitely not expected. Uh, Alex, uh, just following up on that just a little bit, because It must have been difficult for you not being a baseball man in 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 in, baseball man in the sense that you weren't you weren't a a baseball player. You didn't play in the major leagues, and and you worked your way up the hard way from the bottom to the top. Uh, How difficult was it dealing with some of the other general managers uh, in the league that maybe considered themselves baseball men? uh, Baseball men did. uh, do you ever feel that you weren't respected because uh, because you didn't come up the normal way? No, actually, it was actually the opposite. Everyone was outstanding. I think a big part of it was Theo Epstein kind of paved the way for everybody being as young as he was when he got the GM job with the Red Sox. And then I believe, I think, John Daniels after him was maybe 30. So I got the job at 32 in 2010. Andrew Friedman had got the job with the Rays, I think, in 2008. So there had already been a few young guys without a professional playing career that had gotten the job, and the game was skewing to that, that way when I got in in 2010. And also as an assistant GM, I started that in 2006, I was dealing with a lot of, a lot of uh, front offices or with, a lot, with agents. Um, I think an important ca- characteristic to have in any, any walk of life is have some humility and be open-minded to learn. And I think one thing I always made sure to do, because I believed in it, was to show, show respect to... Uh, the older generation, the guys that had been general managers for a long time, and try to learn from them. So um, I think that, that that certainly didn't hurt me in building relationships with those guys, but I think the good part was there had already been a few people that had kind of paved the way for me in terms of the lack of, of, of a big league career. And now you start looking at it, I mean, there's very, very few general managers that have that career. So there's just so much more involved in the game right now with the dollars and the information. Uh, talking to Alex Anthopoulos, uh, Alex, uh, for a lot of your term here with the Blue Jays, it almost seemed like it was Alex and Paul Beeston together uh, riding shotgun at a lot of times. Uh, tell us how important Paul was to your career. Oh, very important. I mean, I still, to this day, I still think about a lot of things. He taught me, he was, you know, just, our offices were side by side, and again, not that he was you know, involved on the baseball side day in and day out. But, look, he had a ton of experience. There's a reason he's on the level of excellence. He's got two World Series rings. You know, he, he understands what the season is like, what the grind is like. I think the best thing I can say uh, to really characterize him um, is, you know, Paul's the type of guy that you lose five, six games in a row, you're feeling terrible, you're on the road, um, you know, things are not going well. You see his name come up on your cell phone and you're thinking, oh, boy, says so my, my boss calling me. He's not going to have good things to say. And it actually would be the opposite. You might lose eight in a row. He'll be calling you not to, to get on you, not to be critical, not to talk about the skies falling. He'll actually be calling you to pump you up and to tell you we're going to be okay, we're going to get out of this. And that's what a leader does. You know, when, when, when things are going poorly, he's there to, you know, to lead, to pick you up, to turn things around. 
And um, it's something that I, that's probably the biggest thing that I took away from him. I've taken a lot of things away from him, but that's something that you realize in it and you really, you really appreciate it at that time. So I try to do the same things, whether it's with a manager or a player. Um, I know what it means. And, again, just his experiences, things he's gone through. Uh, he was a great sounding board for me. Ultimately, I think it's sign off on things from him and get approval from him. But he gave me a lot of autonomy to work, and we worked together as a team. We worked very well. Alex, what was the one trade you regret not making as a Blue Jay GM? Not making? Oh, there's probably a few. Um, I don't know that there's one that sticks out. I mean, I guess I would say this. The one that it's easy to look in hindsight, but we could have closed the deal on Ben Zobrist in 2015. It was before we made the price in the two low deals. Um, You know, they wanted some young talent. We weren't prepared to do that. Um, We were probably halfway to the deal. So obviously I look back and say, if Zobrist was on our team, do we beat the Royals? Do we get to the World Series? Do we win the World Series? So you start going through all those things. Um, but that's probably the one because it's, you're always thinking about that. You know, we felt we had a World Series caliber team in 2015. And um, you wonder if we had just kind of pushed a little forward at the time. Telez was a guy that um, was important to be in that deal. Um, we were very high on him, thought, especially with Edwin potentially being a free agent, Jose potentially being a free agent, having a young potential power bat with some on-base skills. Just again, we were always trying to balance the short term and the long term. As much as some people may have thought, um, you know, we did some things in 2015. I mean, we were still looking at the long term. Like I mentioned earlier, we're signing Vladdy Guerrero in, in July of that year and eating up six million dollars of available money that we could have used to trade the line. That we didn't. We basically decided to go that route on a 16-year-old kid that potentially was going to factor five, six years down the road. And Ben Zobris the same way. Um, we didn't want to put Telez in that deal. So. Um, you know, those are things that you weigh as a GM, short-term, long-term, but certainly in hindsight now, considering it was the Royals and he ended up there, that's probably the one I, I, I would probably mull and take back. Alex, you're going into a, uh, a community that's uh, not used to losing. If you go back into the 90s and even back into the late 80s when you know, an ex-Blue Jay, Bobby Cox, went in there. And with this winning culture, you know, again, coming into you know, some hard times the last few years, and you coming from a winning success in Toronto and the L.A. Dodgers, what do you feel the expectations are for the fan base? Are they patient and going to allow you to build this team back, or do, they, do you sense and they want instant success? I think there's definitely a, a patience there. I, mean, like, I think the fact that they've gone through the rebuild and they've endured the seasons they had the last few years um, is telling. And I told Terry McGurk this when I met with him. That was part of the appeal, that they, they had a plan, they stuck with it. They didn't deviate from it. It's hard to stomach when you're losing games and you're going through some of those things. So um, you know, from a fan base standpoint, I really haven't had a chance to interact with them much. I've done a few corporate sponsor events, a few season ticket holder events. And those events, for the most part, whether they're in Toronto, Los Angeles, Atlanta, those are people that are diehard. They love the team. They support the team good and bad. Uh, but, look, any fan base wants to win sooner rather than later. I do think we're very close. Uh, the young talent is through the roof. We just need to potentially make some tweaks, do some things um, to try to get us there. But, um, look, the goal is going to be to continue to improve. And once we do get to the point that we're, we are a playoff team, that we, we stay there and we try to – we try to emulate what was done with John Schultz and his group uh, winning the division year in and year out, which is easier said than done, but that's certainly going to be the goal. Alex, I want to go back 2015, uh, game five against Texas, <laughs> Roger Center. 
your feeling on the ultimate how, your ultimate feeling on the bat flip situation how how are you feeling that yeah sure i mean when martin threw the ball and it hit you in the hand and um i thought we were going to lose the game being completely candid it just felt like you know it was so late in the game that's going on um it was a tight game it just was not a good feeling clearly then the way that you know the bottom unfolded um and then when the bat flip ha- bat flip happened um we were in a basically a radio booth beside the press box where we got we watched the games and must have been five or six of us baseball ops staff and we were going crazy so just like the fans were going crazy i'm so glad the cameras didn't pan to us cause we look like <laughs> we look like uh, it was crazy we were jumping around throwing stuff grabbing each other it was just it was delirium it was just it was exciting and um Knowing Jose as well, um, I loved it. I know some people, it was very controversial at the time. I loved it. I love the fact that two years later, and I think 10 years and 20 years later, we're still going to talk about it. And that's what makes sports amazing. It's going to be something that's talked about in Toronto sports forever. Um, I love the fact that I got a chance to be a part of that. And um, those are the moments we're going to watch forever and ever and ever. And knowing that you were a part of it, whether you're as a fan or you work for the, you know, for the team or as a Canadian uh, I think there's a great sense of pride there. It was a great mo- moment for the organization, great moment, great moment for baseball in Canada, and obviously great for Jose Batista as well. well. We're talking to Alex Anthopoulos. Alex, we won't keep you much longer, but uh, we do want to talk about. Uh, um, I just want to chat very briefly with you about your. Uh, for me, anyways, uh, we Naz and I, uh, we uh, we 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 like to talk about the fans' perspective on certain things, and the thing that we remember. So much about the Alex Anthopoulos area in, in Toronto is, of course, uh, the, the incredible success of, of of the last few years. But uh, with Alex, with you, um, with you being the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, there was never a dull moment. Um, and in this sense, is that you pulled off some of the most significant trades in Toronto sporting history: um, Halliday, Donaldson. Jose Reyes and Burley, Dickey, David Price, there's more. Uh, certainly, uh, I'm sure there's stories behind the stories to some of these trades. Uh, but uh, just give us the mindset, your mindset, in terms of how you made some of, the, how you pulled some of these things off. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, there's always there's stories with any deal. There's always a backstory, how it starts, the genesis of it, the timeline, uh, the evolution of one. Um, you know, my view, and not that look, the plan wasn't to necessarily make big trades, small trades. You know, you, it's really um, you're trying to acquire players, and whether that's drafting and developing your own guys, making changes. You know, some of it was dictated by the, the timing of the roster, the age of the players. So the one thing that always stuck with me was, Remember, as, as an AGM, and I only got to be here for one year of Carlos Delgado's career, but all we remember about Carlos Delgado, and this is not to minimize his career at all, I mean, I still believe he's a Hall of Fame caliber player, but the greatest moment, as much as he had great seasons and should have won the MVP the one year, the thing that comes to mind for me, the Blue Jay moment was four home runs. And Roy Halladay, the Blue Jay moment for me is winning Cy Young, and Unfortunately, you know, and then the flip side to that is the Edwin Encarnacion moment. Even though he had three home runs in a game and had great seasons, it's the walk-off home run of the wild card game. And obviously, Jose Batista, the bat flip, and it could have been game six in Kansas City where he basically tried to carry the team on, on his back and 
hitting those home runs and hitting the game time home run against Ryan Matson and we still give up the run. But I think knowing we had guys, really iconic franchise caliber players on really good contracts like Jose and Edwin, and they emerged late. They were a little bit older, and you know we couldn't dictate the timing. But I didn't want to see their careers. I didn't think it was fair to the fan base, to the country, to the city, to baseball in Canada to have these great players that are really, gen- really generational to have them for this period of time under those contracts and waste those years and not be able to have those guys experience the postseason and shine. And knowing how hard it is to get there, things have to break right, having a good year, all that kind of stuff. So um, that was certainly a, a driver for a lot of things. And beyond that, I view the job as general manager. Look, I'm a sports fan as anybody, like anybody else, and I want to know that my GM is doing everything he can to put a winning team on the field to make the team better, is giving everything he can. And, you know, maybe to to a fault, I probably overdid it in terms of time in that office every day, Saturday, Sunday, and so on. I probably learned to balance a little bit more and work smarter. But I did feel it was a responsibility, not because you're worried about getting fired or because of the money or the status, but you know, you've been entrusted with this team, and people live and die with this team, and it's a huge responsibility for the community as well. And and it's a sense of pride in being being a Canadian and living in Toronto and. You know, I knew that what we did with the Blue Jays was going to represent, in a lot of ways, all of Canada, or certainly the sports fans in Canada. So it was a responsibility that I didn't take lightly at all, and it was important to me. Uh, we've been talking to Alex. Uh, Alex, uh, you're still, I can say this unabashedly, on behalf of all Blue Jays fans, you're still very much beloved in Toronto. Um, you brought a lot of thrills. Uh, you resuscitated uh, baseball in Toronto. Um a couple of years uh, that will live in Blue Jays infamy. And uh, all I can say on behalf of Blue Jays fans is thank you very much. We miss you. We wish you all the best in Atlanta, unless, of course, Atlanta plays the Blue Jays in the World Series. Otherwise, we can't wish you all the best. But other than that, we wish you all the success in the world. And I know that you and you and Naz have chatted uh, over the last course the last couple of days i'll turn it over to naz to for last words with you alex thanks for being on and uh one thing i have to say about uh they say that you you left nothing in the cupboard for the blue jays but that's not true because the toronto blue jays won the single a championship last year and they have all sorts of prospects and it was you that brought them there so thank you very much for your all your help and uh good luck Thank you very much, guys. Really enjoyed it. Uh, glad to come on any time, and thanks for the kind words. It's, it's our pleasure, and you truly are missed. Alex, have a fantastic day and a, and a fantastic holiday season. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. That, of course, was... Uh... Well, I turned the mics off by mistake. Uh, back on. Uh, that, of course, was Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, Mike, uh, classy guy in my sense. Uh, left a legacy here. Um uh, as Naz, uh, it, was, it, was, it was appropriate for you to correct the record, uh, and good and good for you for that. Uh, you, you got criticized, and uh, uh, there is still some controversy about um, how he was how he uh, was not uh, resigned as the as the as the general manager. And uh, I think Alex took the high road on that. I think I've always thought there was a story behind the story that wouldn't be all that favorable to current Blue Jays management. 
But Alex took the high road. He didn't want to get into the details. He's made he's made a wonderful career for himself. He went to the Dodgers, and now he's the general manager of one of the most successful uh, baseball franchises of the last 25 years. So good for him. Well, I think uh, one of the things people forget is the fact that, you know, myself, you know, when he came in to be general manager, you always want to study what how these guys are going to go about their jobs. And the thing that struck me with Alex is when he came in, the first thing he spent his time doing was revamping the Blue Jays scouting system. When he came in, they had three pro scouts from J.P. Riccardi, who tried to do it a different type of way. And he revamped that whole system, and they had the whole nation covered, the international nation covered, with the cross-checking and so on. And then he started accumulating drafts. And remember then, he was picking players off the waiver wire, which was sort of the code upon general managers who let these guys slip through. And he was stopping in and grabbing all these guys, which was ticking off all the other managers. So he built up an abundance of assets to put him in a position to make those trades in 2015. So people forget that. They sure do. Jays up to make those trades with assets they never had before. So that's the thing about his legacy that people continue to forget. Good point, Mike. Uh, we had a great interview with Alex Anthopoulos. We've run a little bit over time, but we didn't want to cut him off. Uh, thought uh, we we certainly got into some interesting topics. Uh, we do have another break, and we're uh, near the end of our run here, but we'll go to our break. We'll be back for a few short minutes right after the break. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced that you can get a three-topping party pizza with 24 slices for just $24. It's perfect for large groups on a budget, like staff meetings, sports teams, or special ops units. Go, 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 go! Everybody down! So before you break down any doors, get a three-topping party pizza with 24 square slices for just $24. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new M740, also broadcasting in downtown Toronto on 96.7 FM. 
live streaming on www.zoomerradio.ca. And if uh, you have a look at that, you'll know, know that Naz is proudly wearing his Buffalo Bills jersey. Uh, since uh, I brought up the topic of the Buffalo Bills, a uh, couple of minutes left, Naz. Uh, bring us up to speed on our beloved Bills. Do we have a shot at the playoffs? We sure do. If they go 9-7, and seven, I think they're in. I'm pretty sure. San Diego lost certainly, It's certainly City. an interesting game last Sunday. Uh, a little in, bit in, of snow in, in Buffalo. In the snowstorm, but... Uh, uh, we thought we had lost the game, uh, and then a, 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 a quick officials call, I guess, reversed. Who were they playing? The Colts. The Colts. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't tell who they were playing because the Colts were in white, and then the ground was in white. You couldn't. You couldn't tell. Uh, you couldn't see the other team. But uh, who are the who are the Bills playing today? They're playing the Miami Dolphins in at home. Uh, at home. Uh, another, Three and a half point favorite. Another another lake effect snowstorm would go over. Uh, would no, no, go they over. don't want that. They don't want that. I, I'm curious. I, I just I, I'm a little bit puzzled why, uh, especially at halftime or during during the game, they couldn't stop the game for five minutes and just sh- and just get some snow plows out there. Is that is that against the rules or it's technically there impossible? Was a, there was a foot within an hour and a half that yeah. fell in Buffalo. Yeah, you know what? snow, Wally. You know what a foot of snow is. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess uh, so. You're you're saying so. Who do the who do the Bills? Uh, they got to run the table, I presume. No, they don't. They, they don't they, have they, to run yeah, the table. They could, if they beat Miami twice, they're, I'm pretty sure they're in. No, because Baltimore can. Nine and seven should do it. They have all the tiebreakers though because of the harder schedule. If you notice, they're in a playoff spot now at seven and six. It's because they have the harder schedule. And they because uh, all the so are the are, if this if the season was to end right now are the Bills, the Bills in a playoff? are in at seven six yeah oh wow yeah, there's hope for us in yeah. Bills Tennessee and what's 85. what's the uh, you mean what's get, bring us up to speed because every every time I tuned in they had a they had a quarterback that was fall that was uh, are they uh, who's who's their starting Taylor quarterback is back today is Taylor back today and what yeah. happened to the uh, to Peterman. Instead of sliding, he went head first and uh, went helmet to helmet. A concussion? He has a concussion. So is he done for the year in case Looks they like need him? Looks like he's done after that hit, for sure. But uh, Tyrod's back. Yeah, he had knee problems, but he's back uh, this Okay, week. fantastic. So, uh, so I want the weather to So there's to hope be for us. There's hope for the Bills. So it, uh, they make the playoffs. They got any shot at going anywhere with this team, Ness? And we haven't uh, talked to John Murphy in a while, no, but I, I think I think the teams that uh, in the AFC are Pittsburgh, New England, and watch out for Jacksonville. As Jacksonville, yeah, I, they have the this, best defense in the league, and you know who's coaching Jacksonville? It's the former. Oh, is uh, Mike Marone? Marone, Marone, the, the former Bills coach. Yeah, and he, the former Argos coach is the quarterback coach for Jacksonville. And who might that be? Well, what was the, what was the name of the Argos there for a few years? Uh, I don't know. Oh no, you're asking it. That's too tough of a question. As we're just we 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 just got up to speed on Argos stuff in the last month or so. Yeah, so you're that's you're asking about. Anyways, we've got a couple of minutes left, and we've got Mike Wilson um, uh, in studio, the ultimate Leafs fan. And we can't let the opportunity pass since it is the holiday season. Since uh, there are a lot of people out there making last-minute rush decisions to go buy uh, Christmas presents or holiday presents or uh, whatever kind of present you want to call it, um, uh, I do want to tell our listeners that, Mike, uh, co- uh, you authored a book with the assistance of Lance Hornby and Paul Patsku. It's called Inside the Room with the Ultimate Leafs Fan. I've got a couple of copies of that book. I was lucky enough to get mine uh, 
personally autographed by Dave Keon, and I actually got it autographed on page one something or other, where you actually were able to locate the last check. In that book, you will see the last check written from Maple Leaf Gardens to David Keon, and it's a copy of that check. And I and I and I showed it to David, and he and he looked at it, and he fumbled over it, and he goes, he thinks that's the last check he ever received. And I think it's got Harold Ballard's check. signature on it. Check money wise, what was the <laughs> check how money much? wise? Check. So how much was it? Uh, that's no. a good question. Oh, you gotta buy you gotta buy Mike's buy book. Buy the book to find out. Buy the book. <laughs> no, I, I, the book. I forget how much. It was I think it was seventy five hundred bucks. Yeah. It was seventy five hundred bucks. But Mike, uh, in forty five seconds or less. Once again, your book. Tell us what we can find in a book and where listeners can find the book. Oh, well, the book actually is, you know, it's, it's, it's taken from pieces from the collection. We, we've, so over the decades, we t- tried to describe certain th- events that have happened going right back to the beginning of time for the Toronto Maple Leafs, 1917. So that's what we use as sort of the uh, basis to build the book. And we built it right up almost to modern times. So we did 50 pieces. Uh, we're going to hope to extend a little bit further. But if you want to see a copy of the book, it's, uh, listen, working with Lance and Paul was just a treat for me. They did all the work. And, and my, my the name's book? on it. You want to buy the book? The where book, do we get it? You can get it at, uh, e- uh, email me at ultimately Mike at ultimateleafsfan.com or go to our website at ultimateleafsfan.com and we'll get you a copy. Ultimateleafsfan.com. If you're a Leafs fan, get this book. It's got some incredible stuff in it. I flip through it once every two or three months during hockey season. It's got great stuff. Naz, Naz, last word. Go Bills. Thank you. To all our, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. Uh, to all our loyal listeners, uh, have a fantastic week. Be safe. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. Thanks so much. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.